Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head here in Rochester, England. Chamat Sandu over there in Toronto, Canada. And this week, Sandu, it feels like MMA's taking a bit of a breath this week. We had the three events uh, in Jacksonville. Then we've had three events at the UFC Apex. And it feels like we're kind of out of that restart phase now. And we're well and truly into the swing of things. Yeah, absolutely. Even last week, I mean, just the news alone. Forget about events over the last month or so. Just the news itself was just packed uh, full of stories and things to kind of absorb digest and talk about but now i think we're in like you said into the swing of things and there's events every single weekend and there's things for us to talk about fights for us to talk about and things to review preview so yeah good times yeah on this week's show we'll take a look back at the action from ufc on espn 10 uh, in las vegas at the ufc apex we'll also cast our eyes forward to this coming weekend's event at ufc on espn 11 there's also time to kick around a few ideas as well, involving a couple of Brazilian superstars who may both be set to retire in the not-too-distant future. But let's kick things off with what we just saw this weekend, Sandu, at the UFC Apex. UFC on ESPN 10 featured a flyweight main event between then number one flyweight contender Jessica I and divisional newcomer and former strawweight contender Cynthia Calvillo. Wasn't the most stellar card the UFC have put on. We talked about that on last week's show. But, as always seems to be the case with these underestimated cards, the event produced a ton of action. It was a, it was a great event. Um, give us your take on the main and the co-main events, Sandu. I mean, these, you know, they weren't what you would necessarily call A-list fights, but they were very, very important fights, and they had strong stories going into both of them. Cynthia Calvillo beating Jessica I, Marvin Vittori defeating Carl Robertson. I mean, both of those, both of those, strong storylines and uh, interesting fights to watch yeah I mean with Jessica I she first of all she misses weight on Friday which wasn't a good look then she doubles down on the fact that she said she was proud that she did what she did and I think that didn't sit well with a lot of people in the MMA community um, you know Paul Felder came out and said he wasn't really happy with that comment and a lot of fans weren't happy with it either because even if you miss weight I think it's just like you got to like just take it on the chin and take any criticism that comes your way but then to go out and say you're proud uh, that's, that's just not a, a good look for you so look I get it everyone for the most part are taking fights on short notice right and so Cynthia and Jessica probably had I think two three weeks at the tops to 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 put some sort of mini camp together to get ready for this five round fight Cynthia looked great I have to say I think over the course of the five rounds she did she, she was she was dominant you know she I don't there was any point in the fight where I thought Jessica had Cynthia in any trouble whatsoever and I, I would love to see what a an eight to ten week camp Cynthia Cavilla would look like and perform um, at flyweight uh, so Jessica, I, I I don't know what the future holds for her, but hopefully it's not flyaway anymore. Um, she obviously fought for the title, um, got brutally knocked out, and then now she's missed weight a couple of times. So I think if she wants to continue fighting, it has to be at bantamweight. With Cynthia Calvillo, though, uh, I'd, I'd like to see what the ceiling is now for her. Because, uh, you know, when you move to a new division, you get a high-profile win in a main event. That's a, that's a good look. And um, she's, it only occurred to me during the course of fight week that she's at American Kickboxing Academy in San Jose. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how that may kind of help her uh, throughout her the rest of her career moving forward. So um, really happy to see Cynthia Cavilla get a, a win. And honestly, Flyweight needs it. Not to say that, hey, look, there's like a, a murderer's row of contenders for Valentina Shevchenko because I don't think... I think we can all agree that Valentina Shevchenko is going to be the, the favourite, and rightly so versus anyone she competes against but at the same time there has to be a list of contenders that keeps coming up and keeps propping up for the champion and I think Calvillo a couple of more fights maybe at flyweight against some top contenders I mean she just fought Jessica I that fought for the title so I mean she's off to a great start there but Calvillo could be could be a you know a fight for Valentina Shevchenko at some point down the road so not a, not a bad main event and uh, with regards to Marvin Vittori and Carl Robertson, finally, you know, after all the uh, the the beef that these guys have generated from uh, you know trying to get this fight booked and uh, and actually uh, have it take place last month to actually have it finally take place again, you know, a catchweight, you know, Carl Robertson. I mean, the main and co-main event really were kind of you know marred a little bit by you know opponents uh, not making weight, but. 
kudos to Marvin Vittori, uh, the Italian dream, got the submission win in the first round against Carl Robertson. He can kind of like just kind of put that to bed now and move on. And boy, did he give a, a passionate post-fight interview, dropping about a million different F-bombs, was happy to finally say that he can grab a beer. And I like the, I like the fact that he, he dropped in the idea of trying to fight Israel Adesanya as soon as possible again, because look, he did fight Israel. They went to decision, so he didn't get knocked out or submitted or, or finished. So, and he's still young enough where you know if he can put the right in you know, a number of wins together, that maybe he can you know try and fight Adesanya at some point down the road. So, uh, those were kind of my takeaways from the main and co-main. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I mean, the thing with Cynthia Calvillo now. I just pulled up the UFC rankings. We record this on a Tuesday night UK time, so it's Tuesday early afternoon, uh, Canada time. Uh, sorry, Toronto time. The the rankings for the UFC have yet to be updated on their website. So as of right now, we don't know where Cynthia Calvillo will slot in in those official UFC rankings. And we know the way that these rankings are put together. Um, there are media members who put these rankings together. But you'll do well to find too many names on that media members list uh, who who you will know. They're not they're not the main players in 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 the in the uh, the MMA media game as a rule. Uh, most of them like to stay independent for journalistic integrity reasons. Um, so what it means is we don't really know quite how this is all going to work out. Cynthia Calvillo just beat the number one ranked flyweight contender under normal circumstances. You would immediately take her place at the top of the list. But this is her first fight at 125 pounds. Will they put her in as a number one contender after one fight and piss off the rest of the division? Um, that could happen. My my best guess is she'll probably slot in somewhere, somewhere, somewhere between sort of two and six, I would imagine. And Jessica I will drop down below wherever Calvillo is. Uh, and we might see one or two other people bumped up as a result of that result. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Calvio, all of a sudden, one fight, bang, straight in there. And she's a contender. Um, there's some interesting fights to be made at 125. But the question is, who's going to break from the pack and be the one that people can really get behind and say, this girl's got a chance against Valentina Shevchenko. I don't think we're at that point yet. So I think maybe another win, maybe another two for Cynthia Calvio build up a bit of momentum and then hopefully she'll be in a position to get a shot with a bit of uh, a bit of uh, momentum and a body of work behind her that really strengthens her case. Marvin Vittori, you mentioned it there, Sandu. He went a distance with Adesanya. Argu arguably gave Adesanya his toughest night so far in the UFC. Obviously, the caveat to that is it was much earlier in Israel Adesanya's UFC career and he has skyrocketed since. Um, Vittori, there was a lot of pent-up frustration in Marvin Vittori, that fight, everything that had led on. He was supposed to fight in London and uh, he ended up waiting and waiting and fights falling through and falling through again. And then Robeson missing weight the day before uh, and not by a little bit either. I mean, he missed by four and a half pounds. Um, that's that's pretty sizable. So to get in there, get the job done, finish him inside inside the first round, job done. Great performance from him. I wanted to shine a light, Sandu, on some of the names further down the card because, okay, we had some we had some other wins on the card, a couple of split decision wins. Charles Rosa bounced back after being manhandled by Bryce Mitchell uh, about two, three weeks ago. He bounced back with a win. Andre Feely got himself a split decision that really shouldn't have been a split decision against Charles Jordan. His, Charles Jordan's reaction when they read the score out for him and he went, are you kidding me? He knew he'd lost. But um, Andre Feely... Getting the win there. Jordan Espinosa getting a solid win over Mark De La Rosa. I want to talk about the first five fights on the card, Sandu, because it was outstanding. The night began with Christian, don't call me Christina, Aguilera defeating Anthony Ivey, who I thought heading in was probably going to be the favourite to win that fight. Finished him in 59 seconds. We thought, wow, what a start to the night we've got here. Then Tyson Nam taking on a glory kickboxer, Zaruk Adeshev, who had never been knocked out in MMA or kickboxing competition, sends him to the upside down in 32 seconds. Bosh, no problem at all. Then we've got, they both won bonuses. Julia Avila steps in and puts puts away Gina Mazzani 10 seconds faster than Tyson Nam. So we had 59 seconds from Aguilera, 
32 seconds for Tyson Nam. Julia Avila does it in 22 and doesn't get a bonus. There's something wrong there. Someone needs to address that sharpish. Then we had a decision for Merab Dvalishvili against Gustavo Lopez, who came in on like a day's notice and did himself a hell of a lot of credit by just hanging in there. But Dvalishvili looks like he could be a bit of a, a bit of a danger man at bantamweight, and he wants Sean O'Malley next. That could be that could be a good one. But the star of the show for me, Sandu, Maria Agapova or Agapova, um, as as she's been uh, referred to on Fight Night, defeating Hannah Cyphers who had stepped up a weight class to face her. All credit to Hannah Cyphers. Um, and Agapova looked outstanding. I think I think she could be a serious, serious threat. We're talking about who's going to break from the pack at 125 pounds and maybe be a contender to face Valentina Shevchenko in the future. Keep an eye on Maria Agapova because I think she's two wins away. I think if they matchmake her carefully, if they give her someone ranked between sort of 6 and 12 next and then give her someone in the top 5 i think she could be right there um knocking on the door of a title shot if she puts in the sort of performance that we saw uh, against Hannah Cyphers obviously there's a bump up in competition needed but her hands are outstanding um and uh really really love watching her fight and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what she does i'll kind of run for them all i mean who who out of those stood out most to you? I mean, every single one of those produced a performance that they can really hang their hat on this past weekend. Yeah, Dvalashvili and Agapova are the two real bright stars from the, the first half of that card. But can I share a quick little fun story? Not, I, don't know, I don't know if it's like funny, but it was it was, it was was weird and fun for me, I guess, in a, in a, in a crazy way. So I was on BT Sport duty. Uh, on Saturday night and so the card started at 7 p.m. and all the cards were on BT Sport for everyone in the UK and Ireland right so I'm doing my stuff on social media now typically what I do on a Saturday night before the shift start I will watch the fight pass uh, fight pass prelims um, usually there's at least one or two and that starts at 6 p.m. my time here in Toronto and that's typically when I'll have my dinner right so I have my dinner kind of get ready for the fights and what have you so because there were no fight pass prelims, I thought, you know what, no worries. I'll just start my shift at 7 o'clock. And I usually have a few bits and pieces ready to go. And I'm I'm a pretty fast eater anyway. It only takes me about 10 minutes to inhale my food, right? I've watched so, you. I've watched you. Yeah. Watch you <laughs> I know you have. <laughs> so I start the shift. And then, like as you mentioned, you know, Aguilera knocks out Ivy in under a minute so like i'm like all right i've got to stop eating my food and, I, and i've got to like clip this and post that and then there's and, and it's never just the finishes there's there's also also kind of like interviews and other moments and you're waiting for images to come through from the the, the photographer cage side and so all these things that are going on right and so i just about get uh, finished um with that first fire right okay cool i'll get back to my dinner and finish that off Literally, as the as the second fight starts, there's another finish in 32 seconds. So I'm like, oh my god, I've got to stop eating my food again. Long story short, what would have taken me normally 10 to 15 minutes max to eat my food, I think took me about an hour and a quarter, hour and 20 minutes. By the time I'd finished it, it was like ice cold. So listen, I'm not complaining whatsoever because it was there was so much action. But yeah, I thought right moving forward i'm not gonna uh, just i'm not gonna attempt the mma gods ever again i'm gonna make sure whether there's fight pass prelims or not make sure i get my dinner done and down me before the actual shift starts cold food is the way forward you want some sort of like cold finger buffet um just to start and then and then when <laughs> then when you're into the meat of the card you can maybe you can introduce some sort of warm warm food a bit later on in the evening but <laughs> But it was kind of like that. I mean, like the walkouts took longer than the fights. You know, it was, it was, in fact, the commercial breaks took longer than the fights. So it was, it was, uh, it was one of those nice, fantastic start. And it brought up the whole, um, the whole debate about small cage versus large cage. And we talked about it on Spinning Back Click on MMA Junkie this week. And uh, the first, the, uh, the three events in Jacksonville all had the big cage. And they produced 15 finishes over the course of those three, three, three nights. We've now had three fights at the apex with the smaller cage, which is about 30% smaller than the big cage. It produced 18 finishes. So we are getting more finishes. Dana White says it's an illusion. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think the stats back it up. Um, but 
I don't mind these small cages and the UFC Apex events, they look great. They work really well. I mean, it doesn't. F I remember the first time we started watching these fights in an empty, empty arena, and it felt a bit weird. I mean, it looked great. Like I, th I think we were marveling over being able to hear the shots landing and all of this. Um, but it did feel a little bit strange and different from what we've been used to. Now everything just feels normal to me. This feels like this is how it's supposed to be. It's like it's back to watching tough all over again, you know. Um, but it's it's. Um, I think, as I said at the top of the show. It feels like we've gone through that that sort of bedding in period, and now things have settled down. The next little uh, the the next sort of evolution, if you like, is Fight Island, which we're going to get um, in a couple of shows' time. So we've got two more shows at the Apex, and then when we get to July the eleventh, we've got the first show at the uh, at Yaz Island in uh, in Abu Dhabi for the first ever UFC Fight Island show. But before we talk about, well, it's, I suppose it's kind of a segue. It's kind of a segue. Anderson Silva fought in Abu Dhabi once and stunk the place out against uh, against Damian Meyer in one of the the worst worst main event fights I can remember in a long time. But Anderson Silva is a legend. He's produced a string of highlight reel moments throughout MMA history. And uh, Dana White was talking to the press after the UFC event this past weekend and said that Silva's got two fights left on his contract. He doesn't really know quite how to book him at this stage in his career. Doesn't really know what to do with him, how to pitch it. Obviously, Silva's going to be uh, asking for a sizable amount of money. So the fight needs to make some sort of sense. So the tricky thing is, I mean, he's, he's in his 40s. He's not a contender anymore. He's not in active competition fighting three times a year. So what do you do with Anderson Silva? I mean, I, I, it's something that I've had to think about. It's something that I've discussed uh, in, in in my day job with the guys at Junkie. But what's your take? I mean, how do you how do you book his his last two fights? Because I I can't imagine him signing another contract. So what do you do with him? I've got two names written down here, but I'll share mine after you've after you've uh, you, you've weighed in with yours. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because what Anderson Silva wants and what the UFC wants, I would imagine, are two very different things. The state of play right now with Anderson Silva is, is he's 45 years old, right? He's got two fights left on his contract and he wants to see them out. So he, he's, he's not thinking about retirement. He's, he's thinking about finishing his contract with the UFC and then who knows what he's planning beyond that. But he wants to, to finish those, the, the fights on his contract. But the problem is, is he's only won one fight since 2013. So one win registered in the octagon in the last seven years. So it's not as if he's been prolific with uh, getting his hand raised in, in the cage. Now, the problem with Anson Silver is he's a big name. And he, you know, Dana White openly said this week, you know, a part of the, the matchmaking process with Anson Silver is... is the financial side, you know, he he, he does cost them um, a lot of money. Well, it's all relative, I guess. But, you know, he's probably one of the higher paid elderly statesmen of the UFC roster. Uh, it's probably a, a delicate way to put it. Then when you start to think about, okay, well, who has he interacted with over social media? Who has he asked for? Who has he called out? Well, he called out Conor McGregor. Conor accepted, but now Conor's quote unquote retired. And so, as, as fun as that interaction was, I guess that's kind of um, off the table uh, for the for the time being, at least. And then, out of the blue, over the last week, there was some social media interaction between Anthony Pettis and Anson Silva. And I, and you know, Anson, I think, kind of said, "Yeah, that that sounds good to me." And then Dana White kiboshed that idea as well. So, what does that tell you, Sai? That tells me. That Anton Silva wants to make sure his final few fights are against opponents who have marquee name value, right? The Conor McGregor's, the Anthony Showtime Pettis's of the world. Uh, you know what? I'd love to see maybe a Donald Cowboy Cerrone fight, you know, just, just for the sake of, hey, Cowboy versus a spider. And that could be uh, a, a nice three-round fight that makes up a, a, a main card for a pay-per-view offering. Something of that ilk. But then when you start thinking about the UFC and how they've typically used fighters like Anderson Silva, former champion at the, the latter part of his career, in his 40s, it's the old get fed to the young strategy. And we've noticed that with Anderson Silva's last couple of fights. Uh, the one that's most notable, I guess, 
is the Israel Adesanya fight. Uh, again, you know, he's done the UFC's a lot of favours over the last few years in terms of stepping up on short notice. That was one. Obviously, the Daniel Cormier uh, fight was another one. So he's done some solid favours for, for the UFC. The UFC are probably going to want to put him up against someone that's maybe in the top 15 of the UFC middleweight rankings um, you know, and trying to build up a, a budding young star or prospect you know the kind of names that come to mind are going to be guys like Edmund Shabazian Uriah Hall's a great shout he's he's currently ranked number 10 in the middleweight rankings and I think a lot of fans have wanted to see um, you know, those two uh, fight for a long time and then you start to think about well okay forget about what Anderson Silva wants let's forget about what the UFC want uh, for him in terms of what would make sense for for their business model who who, who do I the MMA fan um, want to see Anson Silva fight, and honestly, I'm not sure, Simon, if I'm being if I'm being really honest, but maybe someone that's also got, I guess, a similar status to him. You know, former champion, been around a long time, uh, has name value, um, and so the the name that kind of springs to mind is someone maybe like a, a Shogun Hua. That one makes a lot of sense, right? Um, Again, I don't know when the UFC are planning to go to, to Brazil or when they even will be allowed to go to Brazil. That seems like it's a, it's a long ways off at the moment. But if it's going to be just the apex and fight island for the foreseeable future, why don't you use Anton Silva and Mauricio Shogun who are maybe put them on the same card as a as a Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic fight in, in August. And and I think that would make a lot of sense. So, so yeah, that's my kind of like long-winded but kind of, I guess, condensed um, story of where Anderson Silva currently is, what the potential options are, and what I would personally like to see him do next. Yeah, Shogun was one of my my two solid solid names that I've got down here. I've also got a batshit crazy one as well, which I'll, I'll drop in at the end. But yeah, Shogun Hua to me that seems that 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 ticks every box because it it kind of it kind of suits both men. I think you know I think Shogun Hua is in a very similar position himself. Although Shogun Hua is still ranked. At two oh five, I mean, he's he's just in there at number fifteen at two oh five, but realistically, is he going to be is he going to be moving up that list? I, I'll be honest, I'm not so sure he is at this point. So, Marisa Shogunhua versus uh, Anderson Silva seems like an absolute slam dunk for me. The only thing is, as you say, Brazil, that that that's a main event in Brazil. I don't, I mean, I suppose you could main event fight Island with it, give it some sort of legend status, and you know. Um, a couple of future Hall of Famers going going toe to toe. It might even end up being a, a you know a retirement fight for the pair of them. Who knows? The other name, and this might sound a little bit strange, but I bear with me. Chris Chris Weidman. Um, yeah, they fought twice. Yes, Weidman won both those fights, but both those fights had kind of little caveats against them. So first fight, Anderson Silva was basically cocking about in that fight. He was clowning around. He was just mocking Weidman and all the rest of it. And then Weidman did the unthinkable and caught him and finished him. So that was a bit of a shock to the system. So then we had the rematch and everyone thought, okay, Silver's not going to mess about this time. He's going to, he's going to be, he's going to be on the ball. He's going to be super serious and he's going to go and get his belt back. What happened? Checked. Uh, he threw a leg kick. Weidman checked it. Horrific broken leg fight over. So, Really, Anderson Silva will probably have a nagging feeling in the back of his head that I haven't had a proper, I haven't had a proper go back at Chris Weidman yet. Uh, Weidman is in a strange position himself. Um, he's moved up to, he moved up to two hundred five and lost. Um, and uh, he's not, he's not ranked at two hundred five. Um, and uh, you know, he's he's a former world champion, so he's got some name, some name value to him. And he doesn't have an obvious route forward either. I think this is this is a fight where Weidman can kind of springboard himself back into a conversation where he could be going in there, whether he's going back to 185 and he fights someone at 185 or if he wants to carry on at 205. I booked this fight at 205, by the way. I booked this fight at 205 pounds. No messing about with the weight cuts or anything. Get them both in there healthy and let them go. That would be my number one choice given the, the landscape of everything. The Hua fight would be great if they could do it in Brazil. But with Brazil off the table, I'd do Chris Weidman. And given that he's got two fights left on his contract, imagine we get... So so we do Weidman or we do Shogun, right? And then we get to the final fight of the contract. What do you do with Anderson Silva's final fight? What is the biggest fight 
that you could give Anderson Silva to wave goodbye. He's 45 years of age. The fight needs to be a fight that matters, a fight that will make people tune in, a fight maybe against someone of an equivalent age to him, a fight that's got some history. Chow P. and get the shorts back out the cupboard, get the gloves back on, one more time for old time's sake. Why not? Why not? Hopefully Rio will be open again um, and they'll be able to do something down there. Anderson Silva versus Chow Sonnen. One more time for the road and uh, they can, uh, you know, I think that would be the perfect way. The fight may be absolutely dreadful, but I mean, the occasion of it, the build up to it would be, would be fantastic. That's my kind of crazy final suggestion to send his career off. I don't hate it, and I tell you what, I've actually got a little bit of a, uh, a weird story to tell about Anson Silva. So back in you know twenty twelve, he was just coming off the the Stefan Bonner uh, win. Bonner, of course, uh, tested positive for performance enhancing drugs after the fact. But at that point in my life, I'd made a decision, Simon. I said to myself, you know what, um, I need to go see Anson Silva fight, right? I need to see him fight in the in in the octagon. I need to go into an arena and actually see it in person. And this is at at a time where I was kind of just kind of like, I think, thinking about um, trying to get into the MMA media space. So I was still pretty much just kind of like a fan and and wanted to kind of um, get as much experience I could out of, you know, following the UFC. So what happens? Of course, you know, I I book tickets for uh, UFC 162 and I see him dance around and get knocked out by Chris Weidman. I (laughs) I then booked the flights and tickets for the rematch at UFC 168 back in Vegas what happens he breaks his leg and then <laughs> later on um in his career I finally got to see him fight in person and it was against Michael Bisping in London we were sat ne- we were sat next to each other on press row for that fight yeah exactly so I've only ever had three Anson Silva fight uh, experiences and they've all been him you know receiving uh, losses um, so yeah, I kind of jinx. Yeah, I, jinx. it's all my fault. But yeah, I, I kind of just missed out um, on that heyday. You know, when Anson Silva was just firing on all cylinders, and he was just you know providing us with some of these magic moments, just literally go, going into the matrix and doing things in the cage that we had never seen before. And uh, and you know, the rivalry with Chael Sonnen was so huge because first of all, it did blockbuster numbers, did huge ratings. It made a star of Anson Silva because he wasn't really a, a quote-unquote star prior to Chael Sonnen. He was a he was a UFC champion. He was the one, arguably the best fighter in the world at that time and, and of his era, and definitely the best middleweight of all time. But he wasn't the household name uh, he is, I guess now post those Sonnen fights and, and, and what he's done since then in terms of just you know, keeping his name out there. So those, those are some special times. And I'll tell you what, look, if Sonnen's up for it, I'd love to see it. I do see some issues though, one of which being jumping back into the USADA testing pool, which you have to when you're you know signing a UFC contract. And I don't know how many months you're going to do it for. I don't know if it's three months or six, six. six months. There you six. go. Yeah. So that could be an issue. And, um, and I don't know how he left things off with Bellator either. I don't know if it was him completing his Bellator obligations as a professional fighter and then retiring, or if from his last fight he just decided, right, that's me done. So, um, but I'd love it. All you know, all things being equal, all things in terms of terms and conditions being ironed out, I would love for the very final fight of Anson Silva's career in the UFC to be against Chael P. Sonnen. That'd be great. Yeah, it's not happening. No. But I mean, it's 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 kind of a nice one to think of, but. Um... Here's a thought. You just mentioned in Bellator. Is there any scenario you can imagine where he, he he has these two fights with the UFC, walks off into the sunset, and then signs for Bellator? Well, that's the other thing that has made me think about why he's so persistent in trying to get you know a fight booked and, and finish his, U, his UFC contract, and, and why he wants to do it against big names, right? Because if the UFC book him against some young hungry lion that's in the top 10 top 15 of the middleweight division and they just defeat Anson Silva like the Jared Cannoneers of the world or the Israel Adesanya's of the world then when he kind of goes into free agency or if he was to sign with say a Bellator then his stock is at an all-time low at that point you know especially when you can factor in his his record uh, over the last couple of years his age etc etc on the other side, if he gets the fights that he's been kind of looking for, like 
a Conor McGregor fight, an Anthony Showtime Pettis fight, and 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 fights like that, then win or lose, they're such high-profile fights that he's still kind of keeping his name value, you know, pretty high and his stock pretty high, even if he was to sign for a Bellator or one championship coming off losses because he's still going to be in big fights that the UFC are going to put a lot of hustle and muscle behind to promote. So it's very interesting to see how things shake out for Anderson Silva because, look, Bellator, you know, don't want to call them a retirement home for, for MMA legends, but they have, you know, a, a part of their kind of, I guess, uh, fighter roster acquisition policy it's been pretty open. They 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 don't, they don't mind um, you know legends and and fighters that are a little bit older uh, to come and and fight in the Bellator cage. In fact, they welcome it. You know, and they feel as though they can get some uh, a few more miles out of some of these guys. So I can definitely see that happening. Yeah, one championship might not be a, a terrible a terrible option as well. That's if he wants to continue fighting because it gives him the option of competing in in kickboxing um, if he if he wants to just go all striking. And he can mix and match. He can mix and match. There are guys who compete in one championship who are into their 40s. Brandon Vera is the heavyweight champion of the world for, for uh, one championship. He's in his 40s. Uh, and you've got a few other guys knocking around there um, who, who are pushing pushing sort of retirement age when it comes to combat sports. But And it's the sort of place where they would really lift him up and celebrate him as a legend of the sport in a way that would be kind of fresh and new to him and you know, he started his career out there in in uh, in Japan in many ways. That's where he's he really sort of took off uh, fighting over there. So, it, who knows? He might go out there and have one or two fights, but um, you can't do that until you fought out your current contract first. So, um, it'll be very interesting to see what does happen with Anderson Silva um, and whether he does actually get those two fights. You know, who knows? He might just get frustrated with it all and hang the gloves up at some point, but. Uh, someone else who may potentially be looking to retire soon is Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes has done everything that you could possibly wish to do in uh, in mixed martial arts. I mean, she is a two-division world champion. She's a champ champ. She's the, the only, first and only USC champ champ to have successfully defended both her titles while still, while, while holding both titles. Cormier has defended won and defended both both his belts, but not concurrently. Uh, the only person to do that is, is Amanda Nunes. She's won 11 fights in a row. Every single former champion, every champion who's ever held the belt at 35, she's finished him in the first round. Every champion has ever been at 45, she's finished him in the first round. And now she's putting people away uh, on the scorecards as well when it comes to taking on new contenders or rematches. You know, she's beaten uh, Jermaine Durandamy twice. She's beaten Felicia Spencer now. There isn't a hell of a lot left for her to do. You know, she's cleaned out almost both the divisions. The featherweight division is barely a division anyway. There's not even a ranking for it because there aren't enough people. The bantamweight division is a pretty busy division, but you look at anyone who's got a name and she's beaten them already. So she's now about to uh, about to start a family with Nina Ansaroff. Um, that's happening in September, all, all being well. And, um, you know, she's probably starting to think about what, what's next for her. And, and you look at career challenges and career goals and all the rest of it. What's left for Amanda Nunes? There isn't too much that you can say, well, she hasn't done this yet. Or she hasn't done that yet. She headlined the biggest UFC pay-per-view of all time at the time, UFC 200, and won the belt. And she's she's not lost since. You know, she's not lost since. Every fight has been a title fight since then. She's won them all. She's beaten Rousey. She's beaten Cyborg. She's beaten Holly Holm. You know, she's beaten Valentina Shevchenko twice. She's beaten, obviously she beat Misha Tate at UFC 200 to win the belt. So there's nothing much left. So if we take the assumption that Amanda Nunes might wave goodbye to the sport in the next, let's say the next 12 months. What do we do with the flyweight? Sorry, yeah, the featherweight division and the bantamweight division, Sandu. There's because obviously when you've got a dominant champion, everything looks fine, and it's who's next, who's next, who's next. But when you take the champion out of it, what happens next? Well, at featherweight, I think the division's gone, Simon, because there is no division. There is no 
rankings of 10, 15 fighters. There's just a Megan Anderson. There's potentially the the possibility of a Kayla Harrison being signed at some point down the road. There's the potential of maybe signing a Clarissa Shields. But these are all kind of just like maybe possible one-off fights that the UFC could potentially, uh, you know, make for Amanda Nunes at 145 pounds. There isn't a list of contenders and, and other fighters that they're building up. There's just one or two fights. And, and I think at Featherweight, it's literally just a Megan Anderson fight. And we spoke about it, I think, a week or two ago. I think with Megan Anderson, you've got to give her one more fight uh, at some point in the second half of 2020 just to kind of help her develop and keep her active. Um, and then hopefully maybe in 2021, you can make that fight happen. But if she walks off into the sunset... I don't know if the UFC would be willing to keep that division around just for a Megan Anderson. Now, if you were to, say, bring in a Kayla Harrison, who can make 145, and then maybe they can give her the same treatment. Hey, Kayla, we'll give you maybe one fight a year, maybe two fights a year, but it's going to be a struggle to find fights for you because we just don't have a division. So in all likelihood... Uh, in my opinion, I think if Amanda Nunes was to kind of call it quits and ride off into the sunset, I think that would be the end of the women's featherweight division. With bantamweight, bit of a different story. It's got a, a massive history, uh, not just in, in the sport, but specifically with the UFC. There's a roster, there's a division, there's a great fight coming up between Holly Holm and, and Irene Aldana uh, pretty soon. Irene Aldana is someone that could be the future of the division for a long time and it's a, it's a fresh matchup actually for Amanda Nunes if she was to beat Holly Holm. But I'd be a lot more confident in that division sticking around, someone taking over the mantle of champion at some point down the road, even though that champion will ultimately always be compared to the great Amanda Nunes. And if Amanda Nunes were to, to walk away, that would be a great opportunity for Valentina Shevchenko, uh, the flyweight champion, to come up and then beat whoever the next contender is for a vacant strap and to, to potentially then go on and claim herself to be a two-weight division champion. So much less concerned about bantamweight, very concerned about featherweight. And I think the only other thing to add to that is there is a fresh quote uh, from Dana White, and this is via the Schmozone podcast, where he was asked about Amanda Nunes' um, comments about retiring, and this is Dana White's comment, I will kill her. That actually drives me nuts. You know how I always say, if you're talking about retiring, you probably should, unless if you're at where she's at. And I think what Dana's referring to there is just the fact that, and like you mentioned, Simon, most dominant champion ever. She's on the at the top of her game. She could easily fight for at least two or three years in both featherweight and bantamweight, and keep collecting paychecks, keep you know defending her titles. But it ultimately, comes down to a few factors. It's family life, home life. Look, there is a lot of wear and tear uh, that fighters take on their bodies when you're consistently training mixed martial arts for as long as you have when you're at the very top level, at the elite level, like an Amanda Nunes is. Um, so one has to wonder how her body is feeling like. Maybe she's happy with the amount of money that she's got sitting in the bank. Maybe she wants to do other things in her life. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out here. But I've got a feeling... She will stick around at, at, at least for a short short time. Or maybe they'll say to her, hey, just take the rest of 2020 off, right? Enjoy being a parent, and then let's have a conversation in 2021, at which point perhaps we'll have some some contenders for you to think about, whether it's at featherweight uh, or at bantamweight. Yeah, I mean, I think she's of great value to the UFC right now on, on a number of levels. I mean, she's, she's the star of women's MMA without any shadow of a doubt. And for her to leave, it, it puts two divisions in turmoil and it also leaves a gaping hole where a superstar once was. Um, and uh, I remember when she first made it to the top and people were going, you know, are, is, is she going to be a real star? She is a real star. You know, I don't know if she's an enormous pay-per-view star, but she is a, she is an undoubted star. And, you know, I I understand where Dana's coming from. I mean, it's not like it's not like she's had a load of load of wars that have been taking it out of her. You know, she's she's in cruise control in these fights at the moment. So, 
there's no reason from a competitive standpoint for her to suddenly think, well, I can't do this anymore. Um, but there may be other things outside of the cage and, you know, starting a family and all the rest of it. I know that that's something that, that, that's in, been enormously, enormously important. And, uh, you know, she might even take a sabbatical for a while. Who knows? But it's, it's, it's an interesting one to see just how the UFC can keep Nunes going. Um, the featherweight division is almost non-existent, as you say. I mean, if Nunes steps away from that for any period of time, then Megan Anderson versus Felicia Spencer too is really the only major 45 match that you can think of off the top of your head that will be in any way worthy of a belt. Um, bantamweight, you've got options. I mean, the fight I would love to see is Valentina Shevchenko versus Jermaine Durandamy, which is a matchup we haven't seen yet. And I think those two would make for an absolutely brilliant fight. I think stylistically, they would they would go really well together. I think it would be a fascinating matchup. Durand and me, I think, is massively, massively underrated. I think she's she's absolutely top draw, and I think she could push Valentina Shevchenko to the to the very limit at 135 pounds. So that's a fight I would love to see, title fight or not. I'd love to see that matchup. At some point in the future, as you say, featherweight is looking pretty grim. I mean, they've not really, they've not really drafted other people in to bolster out the division, which suggests that they're not fully committed to it at this point. So, yeah, I mean, if Nunes does eventually hang them up, then uh, you got to, you, you know, you got to be a bit worried if you're one of the other three or four featherweights on the UFC roster, and beginning to wonder if you're going to end up having to go back to Invicta and carry on your career down there. So it's a bit of a tricky one. The only other thing I would say is if 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 Amanda Nunes does retire, is uh, the the immediate thing that the UFC should do is announce her induction into the UFC Hall of Fame at for the next Hall of Fame uh, ceremony because she has surpassed everything that, that 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 Ronda Rousey has achieved in this sport. She has surpassed everything that almost any male UFC champion has ever achieved in the sport. The only thing that maybe she hasn't done is racked up the same number of title defenses that we've seen from the likes of Anderson Silva, from Demetrius Johnson, from Johnny Bones Jones. She's getting there. She's certainly getting there. I mean, she's won, she's won her last 11 fights. And I think the last, uh, I think the last eight of those have been title fights. So, you know, obviously she won the bantamweight belt. She's defended it, I think four or five times now. She's won the featherweight belt and she's defended that once now. You know, there isn't a hell of a there isn't a hell of a lot left for her to do. So the UFC have got to keep her interested as well. So that's going to be interesting. How are they going to do that? What matchups are they going to give her? Or what options are they going to give her to keep things going? Um but yeah, I think it could be a big, big hole in the uh in, in the women's division if and when Amanda Nunes decides to to wrap things up. And before we wrap things up, Sandu, we've got an event this weekend. Uh, UFC uh, returning to the Apex for UFC on ESPN 11, I think it is now. Or UFC Vegas 3, I think the hashtag will be, won't it? Uh, UFC Vegas 3. Um, Curtis Blades and Alexander Volkov in the main event. Two big heavyweights who are right up there uh, in the heavyweight rankings. I mean, Blades is, is right up there or thereabouts, really. And Volkov, I think, has shown that on his day, he could he could be a real problem for the top you know the top guys at, in that two hundred and sixty five pound division. So the big question is, with everything else that's going on, what is actually at stake in this fight? Because is Curtis Blades going to get a title shot off a win? You got Francis Ngannou sitting there who has smashed Curtis Blades twice already, so he's in the way. Um, and what happens if Alexander Volkov wins? Will they then put Volkov and Ngannou together? Because I can't imagine them booking Blades and Ngannou for a third time. So what happens if Curtis Blades wins this fight? That's a great question, Simon. First of all, this card from top to bottom is a lot more pleasing on the eye than this past weekend. There's absolute bangers up and down this one. So I'm looking forward to the card in general. But as you mentioned, right at the top, the main event. I think for Curtis Blades... This is a, a potential opportunity to sneak in the into the conversation of maybe being the next guy that fights for the title if a few other things go his way. And those things could be a number of different things. First of all, 
maybe Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, regardless of who wins, that could potentially be the last time we see both those men fight at heavyweight. We could very well see both of them right off into the sunset in 2020, right? Then there's still this kind of lingering potential super fight between John Jones and Francis Ngannou. Now, at the moment, things aren't looking great with regards to the UFC's relationship with John Jones. He's, I guess, just chucked up the deuces. He's piecing out. He's spending time at home. Um, you know, I think he's just shooting his bow and arrow and doing some other fun things in, in Albuquerque and trying not to get into mischief and trouble. Um, so, with, with, with all these things happening, the only thing Curtis Blades can do is get a definitive win over another top 10 ranked opponent, right? He's currently ranked number three. And you know what? I really hate having to refer to the UFC ranking, just given how they are made up. But unfortunately, it's part of the business. It's part of the sport. The UFC uses it uh, to promote fights and, and matchups when they please and it suits them. And so I guess we have to sort of refer to it in some sort of shape form uh, as well. And so you've got Miocic just to do the champion. You've got Cormier number one, you got Ngarn number two, and then you got Blades number three, right? So for Volkov though, uh, that that could be interesting because Volkov he, he, a lot a lot of upside obviously if he wins, right? And and he's someone that again depending on how other things in the division shake out could be someone that is a a fresh matchup for a Francis Ngarnu, right? Would be a fresh matchup for regardless of who wins between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic. And people forget he's a former M1 global heavyweight champion and he's also a former Bellator heavyweight champion. So he's someone that's kind of kind of like an you know an Alistair over him in the respect of he's a belt collector. He's gone to other promotions and as he's kind of rounded out his overall mixed martial arts game, he's collected some belts, right? And so for him the cherry on top, the big one, is the UFC Championship. And so I think, and also, let's not forget, he is, he's Russian. And Russia is a very big, important market for the UFC. And I think when things get back to normal, when, when you've got the likes of him and you've got likes of Khabib and others, Russia is a market where we could potentially see the UFC hold a couple of events a year, just given how they've kind of escalated things in the last couple of years. So... That's my kind of take on it. That's my kind of read on the situation. It's a lot of if this, then that, depending on who wins in the main event. Yeah, Blades is in a weird spot. He really is because you look at the, the list of contenders um, outside of Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades is the clear, clearly the next guy. The problem that Curtis Blades has is he's fought Ngannou twice and it went badly wrong on both occasions. So... That then puts a gap between him and Ngannou, which really isn't helping him too much. Now, the the thing with with uh, Alexander Volkov, this is this is if you're Volkov, your eyes must be lighting up at this point because this is this is this is the big opportunity that he's been waiting for. He has only lost one fight in the UFC, and that was against Derek Lewis, where he got knocked out nine seconds. Sorry, was it nine seconds? Eleven seconds from the end of a fight that he was winning decisively. He was winning that fight handily. And then Lewis just went berserker in the final round and beat him at 449 in an insane comeback in a fight that he really wasn't in. Um, so with that, with that noted, Alexander Volkov has fought superbly through each of his, each of his performances. And, uh, he looked superb against Greg Hardy last time out. But let's not forget, he's knocked out Fabricio Verdum, former UFC heavyweight champion. So he's been in there with, with someone at the very, very highest level of the sport and he's finished him. That's that's the fight that really stands out to me um, when you when you sort of look at his resume. He's been in there with some tough guys, you know, the likes of Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve. Tim Johnson is a gritty competitor. He's now in Bellator knocking out prospects. So... It's an interesting one for him. I think if he gets the win, it t I think that's the dream scenario if you're, if you're the UFC's matchmakers because if Volkov beats Curtis Blades, you've got all your bases covered. If Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier both decide to retire, you then have the problem of how do you deal with the vacant belt. You have Francis Ngannou, 
Francis Ngannou versus Curtis Blades 3, when Blades has been smoked twice, is a tough sell when it comes to putting it at the top of a pay-per-view card. But if it's Alexander Volkov, who hasn't hasn't been smoked by anybody really. I mean, he got knocked out right at the very end of a fight that he was winning. But he's he's been a he's been a relentless force moving up that division. He then goes through Curtis Blades. Then you've got a battle of strikers. You've got you've got Nganu and you've got Volkov. Um and an entirely fresh matchup for the vacant belt. That makes complete sense. And obviously if one of those two uh guys from the Miocic Cormier fight stick around then the natural thing, obviously, Francis Ngannou gets the title shot, and then Volkov probably has to defend his number one con- or his number two contender spot against one other guy, and then he's in for the belt. So, I think it, I think there's a lot more upside for or obvious upside for Alexander Volkov. Curtis Blades is in a bit of a tricky position. I don't really know how they're going to deal with him moving forward. Um, you talked about this card, Sandu. There are. There's so many fun fights on this card. You sort of run down it. Josh Emmett, Shane Burgos will be a lot of fun at featherweight. Uh, Jim Miller, he's taken on Roosevelt Roberts. That's old school versus new school to kick off the main card. You got Clay Guida's welcoming Bobby Green back. Bobby Green, when he's on his game, is 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 uh, very very handy at 155 pounds, but he's been away for a bit. So looking forward to seeing him, him back in there. Courtney Casey versus Julian Robertson is going to be a good fight. Frank Camacho always brings it. He's one of my favourite fighters to watch. Uh, Frank Camacho, look out for him. Um, against uh, Matt Steamroller Frivola. Great nickname. And uh, yeah, there's so many good fights on this card. I mean, is there one that sort of leaps off the page to you, Sandu? That you think that's that's one I absolutely, you know, I have to, I have to put the food down for this one. I'm going to watch this all the way through because it's going to be a banger. Well, listen, I'll tell you something. By the time this fight is is broadcast, I would have been done with my food, and that's the co-main event. Josh Emmett, Shane Burgos, there's no way that fight goes to a decision. I'm sorry. These two are going to bang it out, and it's and I'm telling you, man, both guys have got absolute TNT in, in their hands, and, man, that one, it's just got me foaming at the mouth, honestly. And, and it's at a division, again, featherweight, Shark Tank bunch of killers up and down that division so i can't wait for that one the one thing i wanted to quickly add before we wrap things up today simon um and it's got a bit of a european flavor and who knows it may kind of at some point down the road be related to the winner of of this weekend's main event maybe and that's alexander gustafsson's out of retirement simon and he's going to be fighting on yaz island against fabrizio verdum at heavyweight on July 25th, it's the last of the Fight Island cards that the UFC are going to be promoting. And I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated for a few different reasons. Number one, I want to see what Alexander looks like at heavyweight. How he performs against an absolute veteran in Fabrizio Verdum. But also, he's been one of those fighters that's been in so many high-profile fights against you know the john jones uh, fights the daniel cormier fights he never could he was always a bridesmaid never the bride in uh, in light heavyweight but he's been such an important fighter for the ufc in the european market his headlines shows at the o2 arena in london he's headlined countless shows in Sweden. So I'm wondering if he was to defeat Fabrizio Verdum next month, could they potentially fast track him? And could he then go on to fight the winner of this fight? Which, if you think about it, Volkov versus Gustafsson, if things open up again in Europe at the back end of this year, that's that's a headliner for a fight night card. And at the same time, for Curtis Blades, well, that's a great fight for Blades too, because I would think that if Blades beats Volkov and he has to try and keep busy until they figure out or I guess how the division figures itself out with DC, Miocic and then Ngannou waiting in the wings, that might be a great fight for him to take because that's another main event against a high-profile fighter. And I would imagine that Curtis Blades would look at Alexander Gustafsson, who's really a light heavyweight but walks around at heavyweight, and whereas Curtis Blades is a bigger heavyweight that maybe even has to cut down under the heavyweight limit, that might be a good fight for him to take. But I'm I'm basically trying to... What I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm trying to think about what could potentially play out over the course of the next kind of four or five weeks, depending on results. But I'd keep an eye out 
on that Gustafsson fight and see how the UFC potentially use Gustafsson if he beats Verdum. Yeah, another uh, all European fight that, that's worth worth flagging. It was um, it's one of the, it's, it's it's a fight that I was working working on breaking over the course of the last week, and uh, we finally got it out there. Um, Nathaniel Wood, uh, former Cage Warriors bantamweight champion, um, and uh, doing 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 some good stuff in the UFC well uh, bantamweight division. He's welcoming Umar Nurmagomedov, the uh, the younger cousin of Khabib Nurmagomedov to the UFC on Yaz Island on July the 25th. That is a banger of a fight. Umar Nurmagomedov, if you haven't watched him fight, he's outstanding. He's 12-0. and 0. Uh, Frank Mir, um, who has called fights over in Russia um, for the likes of ACB and for other promotions as well, he said that Nurmagomedov is kind of the next big thing to come out of Russia. Um, so... He's definitely one to watch. Nathaniel Wood, we all know about him, obviously, on this podcast, and I'm sure a lot of the Brits listening to this will be uh, will be very familiar with the prospect's work. He's looking to bounce back um, after after his recent defeat, but he's still, I think, on an upward trajectory himself. So it's a it's a stiff test for Nathaniel Wood, but it's a big, big test for Uman Nurmagomedov again. That is going to be a very, very, very good fight on that uh, July 25th card. And uh, it's it's a sign the Brits are now beginning to get booked up. Mark Diacasey, um, he was uh, oh, who was he due to fight? I can't remember who was due to fight, but now he's going to be fighting uh, Rafael Fiziev, uh, a, a Russian striker who's one of the striking coaches at um, Tiger Muay Thai, uh, and he only gets involved in absolute wars. So Diacasey versus Fiziev is going to be outstanding. Um, there's a there's a rumor swirling that Danny Roberts and um, Nicholas Dalby could be uh, finally getting getting their fight together as well. So I know Dalby has recently signed a contract. Um, so is it Danny Roberts? I would imagine it probably is. Um, so it'd be interesting to see that fight. You know, two two real sort of stand up stand up strikers going head to head. Two former uh, veterans of the UK scene as well. You know, Dalby, former Cage Warriors welterweight champion and. Uh, Danny Roberts obviously coming up through the UK as well and, and fighting for just about everybody. So the Brits are starting to get back into circulation again and we will start to focus on these guys in future shows uh, once we know, you know, once we're building up to their fights, we will focus on them as they get ready to get back into the octagon again. It's been a long time. So uh, looking forward to seeing those guys back in action. Sandu, we're pretty much done again for another episode of the Rip Pack. That was our 10th show since we... Uh, since we decided to uh, pull the pin and uh, make this thing happen again. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Time is flying by when you have fun. Um, only thing left to say, I guess, is, hey, listen, if you're listening to us on Apple, then do us a favor, give us a rate, give us a review. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. It just helps us promote ourselves on the Apple podcast platform. And if you're listening to us on any other uh, platform any other podcatcher that you, you've got if it's got a review system or a thumbs up rating or five stars four stars whatever the system is if you could use it that'd be great but ultimately simon what we want everyone to do is join us on substack so it's the britpack.substack.com that is the official home of the show and that's where we're going to be growing the, the show in whatever form it takes over the coming weeks and months down the road and if you want to follow the the show or if you want to follow simon or myself on social media it's at the brit pack mma on twitter at simon head on twitter at simon head sport on instagram and myself i am at sandu mma everywhere facebook instagram twitter and all that good stuff yeah, I'm annoyed some some get Nick Simon Head on Instagram before I could get my paws on it. I was, I was very unhappy <laughs> about that. Um, and I, I'm not changing my Twitter handle after after 10 years, so that's going to have to just stay as it is. It would be nice to be branded all the way across, but unfortunately some 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 swine has, uh, has, has taken my, uh, my Instagram handle before I could get it. But yeah, that was our 10th episode since we... Uh, since we decided to get this thing back on, on on the road again. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We really appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. And uh, yeah, hit us up. Let us know. Let us know what you thought. And uh, if you've got any any talking points you want us to drop into next week's show, then uh, holler at us and uh, we'll, we'll try and drop those in 
Enjoy the fights this weekend. It should be an absolute banger of a card. Look forward to this one. Sandu will probably be running the the BT Sports social, so keep an eye on them. I'll be uh, I'll be on duty for MMA Junkie with all the post-fight stuff. So uh, yeah, check out our work on those platforms as well. Enjoy the fights, and we'll be back with another episode of the Brit Pack next week. <laughs>